visit www.sffoodbank.org/volunteer. Again, www.sffoodbank.org/volunteer to find out how you can help. are already dead? A shadowy group of killers for hire is eliminating world leaders, crime lords, and CIA agents. Inexplicably, the deceased contract killers have the DNA of people who are long dead. CIA agent John Clooney devises a dangerous plan to capture a shadow killer alive. Contract a hit on himself. John Wessex, The Shadow Killers, is the second book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me sea dogs and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit face McRat. <laughs> Ambassador, the king of the clay. You may like to gamble, you might like to dance. You might be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Oh, yeah, you've got to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. somebody. Oh, yeah.
the road to ruin his path with patriarchy. So let the way of women guide democracy and from plunder and pollution and mother earth be free. Feminism ain't about women, but that's not who it is for. It's about shifting consciousness that we're bringing into war. So listen up. Sweat of my brow. I learned early 
hands too Every day he gets richer I get poor somehow Making a living By the sweat of my brow If you can't be careful, try to be good. Well, we cared and we cared as much as we could. We always agreed, by me and my man. We said, someday we'll try the family plan. The first thing we tried was nothing at all. Of course, an amateur ride and everything's here for. We charted my times, followed my moon. But then someday, came a little too soon. I got the nine months of blues. There was him and me and the baby made three But we made up our minds to stay that way With little bitty things made of rubber and such And cause we were friends we decided to go Dutch When we said I do it cause a solemn oath So we did and we did and it pleased us both We still can't figure out what went wrong But that's the first line of the nine month song I got the nine months blue Too much to gain and too much to lose Get out This time around, I'm gonna cast my stone. I'm gonna have a chance to call my life my own. About the SPC, the FPA, they said to keep that child, don't fling it away. The doctor said he had the right to refuse. The law says if you want to beat the noose, you gotta be rich or near to your grave. So away I went again on my nine month rave. I got the nine month blues. Too much to gain, too much to lose. And that time. I got a new twos, I got the nine months of blue
next thing we tried was a capital P. And I was what that made me. My head buzzed open and I nearly went crazy. And my moon started rising every 14 days. I says I may be sick, but I'm safe and free. We started making honey like a couple of bees. But one May morning, I must have forgot. Dropped me right back to the nine months slot. I got the nine months Too much to lose. I want my old man be happy when he hears my news. I got the nine months blues. I got kids everywhere. Two, three, four, five. I just can't swim without taking the dive. I went for advice. They says to me, they said the next thing to try is the IUD. But the small print allows that the loopity loop has a margin of error. Then you're in the soup. But your kid'll be normal, so don't you fret. Even though you leased it for the nine month letter, I got the nine month blues. Too much to gain, too much to lose. I better get my old man to disconnect his fuse. I got the nine month blues. I love my man, I love my kids, but if I have any more, I'm gonna blow my lid. It's not just the Leaves on my mind. It's also the washing hanging on my line. It could be the worry on the old man's face. By thinking of the future of the female race. It all began with a love and a laughter, then so much care. For such a long time after every nine months blues. Too much to gain, too much to lose. Now, don't you think we ought to have the right to choose to sing the 20 year blues? Good morning, mutineers. This is the Labor and Love Show. You're listening to mutinyradio.fm. And every Saturday between 10 and 12, we bring you Labor and Love. My name is Bill Morgan, a.k.a. The Bee. Singing the rich and powerful and greedy where it hurts. This is the show where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, then you're on the menu. You never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. When I say labor, I mean you. It's only a waste of time when you have someone in your heart who's not a friend of labor. Of course, they don't want us to have unions. Our work makes them rich. They want us coming in with our hat on our hand one at a time so they can keep our pay low, as low as possible. That last one, we sort of snuck in. Usually our, our sets here are three songs, and I found that one by Peggy Seeger. So apropos of the situation right now, I got the nine-month blues. Don't you think we deserve the right to choose? Going through all the complications that a woman has to go through upon having a baby when she's forced 
be a mother? Don't you think we should have the right to choose? It's our body, isn't it? Nine-month blues, Peggy Seeger. For that, Hazel Dickens. Earn my living by the sweat of my brow. Making a rich man richer. And then we had, before that one, we had, well, we had Gotta Serve Somebody. That was a version by Mavis Staples and Johnny Lang. Gospel-tinged version. And Annie DeFranco, I answered, asked the question again. You're going to have to serve somebody. Which side are you on? Whatever you do, it's going to help one side or another. Which side are you on? You're going to have to serve somebody. Labor and Love is a show where we bring you labor news, opinion, history, reportage. What do we got today? We got Radio Labor. Radio Labor's headquarters was uh, hit by a hurricane. So we'll see if they can come through. I think they will. With their worldwide labor report, we got labor history in two, paying special attention today to the massacre, Memorial Day massacre in 1937. Labor Notes brings us news of Deep South Baristas striking Starbucks. That's South Carolina. Something from AOL Mail. Talking about the Zoot Suit Riots. Okay, the Zoot Suit Riots took place in June of 1943, and it was uh, sort of an excuse for white servicemen and white police who were on the scene at the time to assault young Mexican-Americans who were dressed in hip clothing of the time called zoot suits. Audrey Lord, we were going to talk about Audrey Lord last week, ran out of time. Take up some of Audre Lorde's life and her most famous poems. Big news uh, as far as students are concerned was that students at five schools, so-called schools, were relieved of their debt some $5.8 billion because the schools under the umbrella title of Corinthian Corinthian schools were found guilty of fraud, that they'd never really gotten anybody any jobs. Uh, you see, one of them was healed. If you ever ride the bus in San Francisco, you're familiar with healed advertising placards. 
Heals you win. Tails you win something. How about a big union for charter schools? There's an article in In These Times that we'll take a look at. And let's start out with Radio Labor. This is our worldwide labor report. After that's over, we'll uh, take a look at songs for essential workers. Anyway, here's Radio Labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, how unionist teachers are working to eliminate child labor. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. We want a life with dignity. A world that upholds rights and equality. Hatred and violence have no place. Regardless of gender, class, or this is Radio Labor. Allow me first to recall and reiterate the words of Nelson Mandela, who said education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world. And allow me to rephrase that to say education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to eliminate child labor. That is Dennis Signalo, the Africa Regional Director of Education International. EI is the Global Union Federation, which represents 30 million teachers and other education workers in 172 countries. It has a special focus on helping the 160 million children in the world who are trapped in child labor. Mr. Signalo spoke at the 5th Global Conference of the Elimination of Child Labor, held May 15th to 20th in Durban, South Africa. And if you are talking about education, certainly... The most important people who drive education are teachers, the women and men in our classrooms. Education International, being the Global Union Federation of Teachers, is working with its member organizations in various countries to eliminate child labor. I'll share with you five key strategies that are being used and give you examples related to these strategies. First, the unions and teachers Collect evidence. So the first strategy really is research. Collecting evidence about who is missing out on education. Children that are in child labor, for example, and the reasons why. And where these children are, what are the sectors, the industries, and who is keeping them away from school. Education International has developed a tool which is called an equity audit tool. So that tool is used by teachers, actually, to identify children who are missing out on education including those who are in child labor. We have several examples of our programs in 13 countries, actually, all over the world. For example, in Senegal, we've heard about Malawi. The unions are also working in Malawi on the ground, actually, to track these children and engage in advocacy with local authorities, including traditional leaders, including school management committees, 
to actually bring these children who are missing out on education to school. So the second point really is advocacy and dialogue. And then the third point is awareness raising. This is very important because quite often parents may not be sending their children to school thinking that actually they're doing the best thing by allowing them to earn an income for themselves and for the family. But uh, teacher unions as well as teachers at school or local level engage with parents, engage with traditional leaders to get children into school, to raise awareness, consciousness, so that parents act and everybody else acts. And we've seen very successful examples, of course, in Malawi, in uh, Zimbabwe, in Mali, in Senegal, and in various other countries. The fourth strategy is community mobilization. Community mobilization. So yes, raising awareness is good, but it's not sufficient. So you need to mobilize. So unions mobilize their members. And then, of course, the teachers mobilize the students, the communities, to help in the effort of getting children out of labor and into school. Part of this is through actually using various methods. It can be theater, for example. It can be school clubs, anti-child labor clubs, for example. It can be committees involving all the key stakeholders within the community. And one of the most successful models EI has used is the creation of child labor-free zones. So the unions working together with communities have identified child labor-free zones. It can be a community, it can be a district, or if the ambition is higher, it can even be a region or province. And then they work together to make sure that these zones are free of any form of child labor. And then finally, uh, strategy number five is creating a safe and inclusive environment for the child, meaning the whole school and the whole classroom. For more information about Education International and child labor, visit ei-ie.org. When we look at the situation or what we are doing in Zimbabwe, we are using what we call the area-based approach, where we identify a small geographical area, do activities in there, commit off child labor. When we are done, we move to the next one. Angelina Lunga is the Training and Development Officer of the Zimbabwe Teachers Association, ZIMTA. We started our work in a place called Chipinge. Chipinge is a place where a lot of agricultural activities take place. It's important to mention that when government outlawed child labor, major companies abandoned child labor. However, our other smaller farmers, communal farmers, and even members of the community, some of them are still practicing it. It is important to mention that when child labor was abandoned, then these other pockets of activities are the ones that we are targeting. We realize that Children were involved in herding cattle, not going to school, but herding cattle for some people, doing some farming activities somewhere, selling the whole day, and being closer to the Mozambican border. Our children sometimes 
cross the border to look for work or to order stuff and come and bring it into Zimbabwe and be sailing throughout the day. So we have been doing in the schools, first of all, we trained teachers on issues to do with child labor. This was because we wanted to raise awareness on the importance of education and the right to education for these learners. For the complete commentary about child labor by Ms. Lunga, visit radiolabor.net. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to coverage of the astounding and unexpected union victory that has resulted in the introduction of paid domestic violence leave for Australian workers. We also carried news of new arrests of trade union leaders in Belarus, more efforts at solidarity with Ukrainian unions, and details of how and why the Trump administration in the United States conspired with food processing corporations to deliberately place meatpacking plant workers at risk. But my favorite top story of the week came to us from Sweden, where dockers have placed a hot cargo edict on Russian ships and on cargo bound to or coming from Russia as an act of solidarity with Ukrainian workers. The Swedish ports employer announced this week that it was taking the union to court in an effort to force its members to handle the banned cargo. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found stories about the U.S. national women's football team's success in gaining pay equal to that of that country's men's team. In other news about women workers, we followed the work being done by the Midwives Union in Lesotho as it presses for an expansion in its members' scope of practice. And we were able to bring you an interview with a Ukrainian member of the Builders Union there about her life since the start of the Russian invasion. A small sample of the stories appearing on our health and safety page and Newswire this week includes coverage of the health care crisis in Eswatini, where several medical facilities had only a single health care worker well enough to report for work at least one day last week. From the UK, we brought our readers a report from the British Medical Association that details how that country's government failed healthcare workers throughout the pandemic. And we carried stories about the Building Workers International's initial success in pressing the ILO and national governments to declare occupational health and safety a fundamental right. Already over 100 Building Workers International affiliates in 50 countries have joined in the campaign. Our current photo of the week is from Sri Lanka, where last week trade unions called for a national general strike against not only government economic policy, but also the banning of trade union activity in large segments of the economy and a shoot-to-kill order aimed at ending weeks of popular protests. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is Equality for You and Me, produced by ITUCAP, the Asia-Pacific section of the International Trade Union Confederation. It's a musical plea for countries to ratify Convention 190 of the International Labor Organization. Convention 190 focuses on eliminating violence and harassment in the world of work. Day by day, women are silenced 
Give voices to workers, women, and young people. We must have a say in policies affecting our lives. Their design, their enforcement must leave no one behind. And gender-based violence and discrimination ensure social protection, decent job creation, social dialogue, and engagement with unions. Build a nation grounded on inclusion and people's genuine participation. And that's it. Labor news you can use. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. Hello, I'm Mark Belanger. Picture this. You're in the hospital with COVID-19. 
your family is not allowed to visit, and you are not sure you will live through the night. There's only you and a night shift nurse. Here from the Labour CD Fallen Heroes, Songs for Essential Workers, is A Nurse's Lullaby. Thank you. 
Okay, well, that was a piece of Blue Collar Man by Styx. Um, for that, we had the Nurse's Lullaby. Beautiful song. I'm playing it almost every week now because it's about someone who's uh, dying of COVID-19 and the only one there with that person is a nurse, night nurse. It's the middle of the night. And uh, it's only the two of them against the world. Touching moment from the pandemic about our essential workers. We call them essential workers, but do we treat them as essential workers? No, everyone's very upset that people don't want to go back to work. And why should they if they don't have to? If I go and turn your brain off for eight hours or however many hours it takes to earn your subsistence. This is the bee, and uh, it's a Saturday morning. I'm here in the Mission District following a last weekend's beautiful resurgent Carnaval. Um, that hadn't been on for three years because of that same pandemic. And everyone was out. It was a beautiful day. The dancers, of course, letting it all out. And the street fair, even if you didn't go and buy anything, just walking around, people watching. Beautiful day at Carnaval. Okay, let's get on. We're talking about the Memorial Day Massacre. And what is that, 1937? Well, this is um, the Zen Education Project's take on it. Produced by the Illinois uh, Labor Society. I'm Les O'Rear of the Illinois Labor History Society. When we discuss the labor movement and the problems of unions, industrial relations, all these subjects, we seldom appreciate the depth of struggle that went into the creation of this modern labor movement. In 1936, what was called the CIO, that was then known as the Committee on Industrial Organization, later changed its name to the Congress of Industrial Organization. This committee was set up under the leadership of John L. Lewis to organize the mass producing industries, the industrial unions. And one of the keystones of that drive was in the steel industry. All throughout 36, thousands, thousands of workers in the basic steel industry flocked to the union banner. 
so much so that by January of 37, the biggest of the steel companies, that's U.S. Steel, uh, agreed to recognize the union. But the remainder of the industry refused to go along, and their managers decided to uh, try to destroy the union before it could get a start. This forced the hand of the steelworkers. Accordingly, a strike was called in May of 1937. One of the classic cases where this crunch came, where the right of the union to free speech and demonstrate uh, was aborted by public officials, occurred in 1937 in what we call the Memorial Day Massacre at Republic Steel in South Chicago. There's a union headquarters out there now, almost at the very site where those people died, memorializing their names and the men and women who were injured there, too. This is Local 1033 of the United Steelworkers of America. On May 26th, and again on May 28th, the union tried to set up uh, picket lines at the plant gate. Uh, the police, however, chased them away, beat them up, and drove them off, allowing only just token picketing. The union's response was to call for a great mass demonstration to establish the right to have the significant picket line, but the Chicago police refused to permit this to happen. And a very bloody massacre occurred. One of the people who was there is Sam Evett, now district director of uh, District 31 of the United Steelworkers of America. Sam is here and is going to narrate a film that you're about to see. This is the film that was taken by uh, the newsreel cameras that were established, set up at that time, and we're going to present to you an uncut version I was there that day because of my duties as an organizer for the Steelworkers Organizing Committee and my uh, relationship as assistant to Nick Fontecchio, the field director, who was uh, the principal speaker at the Sam's Place preliminary to the march across the field by the pickets. What you are now seeing is the Chicago Uniformed Police preparing to meet and confront the strikers who will be marching across the field from Sam's place where they are holding a mass meeting. This is evidently the beginnings of the first group of strikers in the long line of strikers marching across the field beginning to approach where the police have drawn themselves up in a line formation to block their right to picket in front of the 118th and Burley Avenue Millgate entrance to Republic Steel. I'm sure you observed a number of the police paddy wagons drawn up there. The police were evidently anticipating they were going to be hauling a lot of people away from this area. This is the scene showing the strikers having arrived to confront the police and demand their right to peacefully picket in front of the mill gate. with Captains Mooney and Captain Kilroy, 
explaining to him their right to peacefully picket in front of the mill gate. You can see some of the strikers vigorously arguing with the police. This scene takes place momentarily after a lens change showing the police firing their guns, clubbing the pickets, shooting tear gas. There was a tear gas bomb streaming through the air. If you look closely, you can see the police with their guns in their hand some of them firing into the backs of the pickets as they struggle to run away from the police. Seven of the ten men who were killed on that day were shot in the back. The other three were shot in the side as they sought to evade the police and to run backwards in the direction from which they had come. There's Lupe Marshall, a social worker from Hall House, being prodded by a police belly club. Workers are down on the field, having been shot. There were 30 others that were injured by bullet wounds that day, as well as approximately 60 more who were clubbed and beaten unmercifully. They're now loading them in the paddy wagon. Many of them with blood streaming from their heads. There's a wounded member of the union who is being thrown into the police wagon. Mrs. Marshall, by the way, stated that there were 16 in the paddy wagon that hauled her to the police station, some of them dying, wounded, piled on top of each other. Some of them were not delivered to the police hospital, Bridewell Hospital, well, some three hours after the incident took place. There were many people not in police uniform. We have some suspicion as to their reason for being present. This is Al Cosby, who was shot and who was allowed to bleed to death. At least one policeman tried to comfort him. scene is of a, a striker lying on his back. The scabs and the police are looking. A wounded picket being taken away by a group of Union pickets who had their own 
car and who had driven across the field to help carry off some of the injured back to Sam's place where a first aid station had been established. This was brought about by an incident that had happened similarly on Friday evening, the 28th of May, where the police had clubbed a number of the pickets. A view of the uh, Millgate entrance at the 118th and Burley, showing evidently some police, some scabs, and company personnel in the background. A view of the uh, Millgate entrance at the 118th and Burley, showing evidently some police, scabs and company personnel in the background. General view of the South Chicago plant of Republic Steel Corporation. And some of our pickets marching in front of the plant gate. A very limited number, as you can see. Sam, that's such a shocking film. There must have been a real public outcry of it. There was, uh, but at the same time, uh, this film that you've just seen was suppressed by the police. The uh, public press, that is, the newspapers, uh, tended to support the Chicago police. They looked upon it as a demonstration that warranted the bloodshed by the Chicago police. However, we had had some similar incidents on the evening of the 26th and the 28th of May at the Republic Steel Plant in South Chicago, where, again, our tickets uh, had been beaten by uh, police billy clubs. Mm -hmm. And we were anticipating that they might do that same thing today. That's the reason, for example, you saw in there some of the cars with a red cross sign on it were there to help carry any injured who may have been beaten. Mm -hmm. However, none of them really anticipated any serious incident or any shooting as oh, took place. Consequently, the whole thing was a real tragedy. When the police had their uh, grand jury investigation by the coroner's committee, they marked it down as justifiable homicide. The police alleged that uh, our members were under the influence of marijuana and that uh, because they had marched across the field that day chanting CIO, CIO, that this was an indication that they were under the influence of dope. This Films show so much police brutality, it's hard to believe that it would occur, but it's there before your eyes. Yes, I think if you examine the film very carefully, as it's being shown, you can see many of the police with drawn guns firing. You can see the strikers running away from the police line, trying to avoid being injured or hit by the police. Tell me something about the people who were killed. Were they uh, Republic Steel strikers? Well, it's interesting. Uh, Last to remember that of the ten that were killed, there was Leo Francisco, a Mexican, Anthony Taglieri, an Italian, Lee Tisdale, a black, Joe Rothman, who was born in Bavaria and Germany, Sam Popovich, I assume, is a Croatian, uh, Alfred Cosi, who came from uh, Alabama, Kenneth Reed, a farm boy from uh, Iowa, there were 30 other victims of gunshot wounds, and there were 60 others who were clubbed or beaten. Well, you mentioned that lady from Hull House. Yes. What was her testimony again that... Uh... Mrs. Marshall, Lupe Marshall, testified that when she was thrown into the uh, paddy wagon and to be hauled to the police station, 
that they were normally you accommodate eight uh, passengers mm -hmm. in the paddy wagon. There were she counted sixteen. Many of them were thrown in on the floor between the seats, and they were piled on top of each other, wounded, bleeding. And she testified before the Senate investigating committee that one of them down at the bottom of the pile who was very visibly in very bad condition asked for a cigarette. She lit a cigarette and put it in his mouth. It fell out of his mouth. Thank you. That's all right, he said. And she said she, his eyes blazed and she could tell that he was dying right then and there. Well, you said that the film was suppressed. How, what do you mean by that? It was suppressed by the police. Uh, the uh, Senate Investigating Committee had to subpoena it in order to have it appear before the LaFollette Committee who conducted an investigation of the Memorial Day incident. Well, then this really must have been prime evidence in that hearing. It was, and uh, the uh, Senate Committee also indicated very clearly that the long white clubs that were used by the police, the tear gas that was used by the police, evidently had to come from the properties of Republic Steel Corporation. How did they get to that conclusion? There was no tear gas issued by the regular police department that day, ah. and anyone can see very clearly that uh, these were not regulation police belly clubs. As a matter of fact, the police had been housed, fed, clothed, and billeted inside the plant gates by the Republic Steel Company, and the police had been there even before the strike had began. What about the strike itself? Well. We, for all practical reserves, uh, lost the strike, and it took us four or five years before we achieved our first uh, collective bargaining agreement with the Little Steel Companies. So you, you did make a comeback? Oh, we did make a comeback. We did not stop fighting. We fought to uh, maintain the union and to conduct local union meetings and continue to organize and to use all of the available legal means that were uh, present to uh, finally vindicate the position of the right of the American working men and women to have a legitimate, bona fide trade union of their own choosing. Our union wasn't handed to us on a silver platter. We had to fight for it every inch of the way. That uh, there were a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that went into the building of this organization. And that as long as we have laws that govern the relationship between the employer and the uh, members of the union, we must constantly be on the alert to protect those rights, the right to freedom to speech, freedom of assembly, the right to peacefully picket. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's one adage we should always remember, those who forget the past are destined to relive it. Okay, that was our uh, feature on the Memorial Day Massacre in 1937. Uh, ten Union picketers, Union people were killed. Thirty were wounded as police pulled their guns and shot at demonstrators. Sixty more were beaten with billy clubs and uh, what can you say this is the the lengths to which capital will go to protect their right to control working people in other words they don't want working people to have their own 
situation, their own elective power. They don't want us to be together. They don't want us to organize and choose our own leaders and our own, have a voice in our work. An oft-told tale, I wish we could say that it's over and that the sacrifice that these people made has meant uh, freedom, more freedom for American workers, but it hasn't. I want to get on to some things that are happening right now. Things that are current, current situations, things that we're fighting for right now. Often it's the same thing. Uh, one big union for charter schools on the In These Times website. Conversation with a guy named Tyler Powell, who's a fourth grade teacher at Caliber. Beta Academy for five years, Caliber Changemakers Academy. Aaron Murphy. Um, it's an interview with, in, in these times, with Maximilian Alvarez, but the, the interview is so long, I don't want to play the whole thing, but let's just read a little bit from the first paragraph. Caliber Public Schools, a group of charter schools in Northern California, states on its website that its mission is to achieve educational equity by shifting the experiences, expectations, and outcomes for students in historically underserved communities. Our strength-based educational program validates, affirms, respects, and supports students, families, and staff members to reach their full potential. But when teachers and staff who believe in that mission did not feel validated, affirmed, respected, and supported, they took it on themselves to organize and push Caliber to live up to its promise. Earlier this month, the California Public Employing Relations Board, PERB, ruled that a majority of the 150 teachers and staff at Caliber, Beta Academy, and Caliber Changemakers Academy, in Richmond and Vallejo, respectively, had demonstrated sufficient support for unionizing with the industrial workers of the world, as our IWW, and ordered management to formally recognize the union. Okay, so go ahead and read that one. One big union for charter schools. <clears throat> One of the ways that charter schools circumvent a lot of regulations that public schools have to have is by not allowing unions, uh, not giving workers a voice in their own job experience and daily work. The IWW chess press release. 
caliber public schools will now be assembling a bargaining team to negotiate a collective agreement that would codify new standards of basic transparency and community accountability at the school. Workers and families will be working for a seat at the table where they can meaningfully impact key processes and priorities of the school, such as moderating workloads and class sizes, as well as establishing adequate compensation to retain skilled educators. I can't speak for this group called Caliber, <clears throat> but another way that uh, charter schools circumvent a lot of regulations that public schools have is to hire uncertificated people and put them under the overall umbrella of someone with a credential. So I might have a credential, but I will be supervising three or four or five or six teachers who are teaching classes, but without a credential. Um, that's one way they, they, but they do hire a lot of young teachers, young and inexperienced teachers. Nothing necessarily bad about that, except those teachers need support. And too often in charter schools, the support is not, not good enough. The support is not supportive enough. Anyway, keep an eye on that. That would be a big coup for teachers' unions. Or it might be that the teachers at these schools want to go their own way, like uh, the organizers at Starbucks in New York. In other words, form a union just dealing with speakers, um, workers at that, with that company. Okay. And I want to talk about... <clears throat> want to talk about the just a second how many roads must a man walk down for he's called a man and how many seas must the white dove sail before he sleeps in the sand how many times must the cannonballs fly before they're forever banned the answer my friend is blown in the wind the answer is blown in Exist before it is washed to the sea. 
How many years can some people exist before they're allowed to be free? How many times can a man turn his back and pretend that he just doesn't see? The answer, my friend, is blown in the wind. The answer is blown in the wind. How many times must a man look up before he can see the sky? How many ears must one man have until he can hear people cry? How many deaths will it take till he knows that too many people have died? The answer, my friend, is blown in the wind. The answer is blown in the wind. The answer, my friend, is blown in the wind. The answer is blown in the wind. The answer is blown in the wind. The answer is blown. Got 12 years down and I still owe nine. Pops getting old, so now I'm doing double time. Prison life got changed, so my tears, yet I still cry. Concerned convicts look at me and they all sympathize. I'm trying to conceal and contain when I'm feeling inside. Recognize the consequences of how I'm living my life. Man, what I wouldn't give just to be by his side. Cause we only live once and there ain't no next time. I promise not to do tomorrow. What I could do now from this point on in my life, that's how I'm getting down. Realizing now's the time and place to make some changes. No more tears of hate, anger, fear, and frustration. Or walking with more issues than a mental patient. Like sitting with my pops, waiting for our Lord to take them. I give them to God and ask them for the strength to face them. Cause without faith, there ain't nothing else that could replace them. Hey, girl. What's up with you? That's the thought in my mind when I look in the mirror one day. I'll be there with you instead of sitting alone in a cell holding on to your picture. Hey, Earl. What's up with you? That's the thought in my mind when I look in the mirror one day. I'll be there with you instead of sitting alone in a cell holding on to your picture. Imagine looking at the world. Through God's eyes, discover the hidden meanings behind what you once loved and despised. What I want for myself is that which I want for me. There's so many trapped in confusion, living a life of hypocrisy. As a man, I stand unforgiven by my fellow men who say they believe as I do. Maybe that's God's plan to be an example of faith to those who all know me. Because I'm grounded in the spirit like an angel with a broke wing. My faith in God promises eternal life after death. So me and my pops will be together forever, I guess. I suppose better off than those lacking sincerity. And I pray for the souls as they take up space next to me this is for my father you know i know how you feel like i said before i do what i can and that's real write a letter or call just to check up on you never miss no opportunity to show you i love you hey earl what's up with you that's the thought in my mind when i look in the mirror one day i'll be there with you instead of sitting alone in a cell holding on to your picture say earl What's up with you? That's the thought in my mind when I look in the mirror one day. 
I'll be there with you instead of sitting alone in a cell holding on to your picture. Welcome home, son. In New Zealand I read a magazine Something nasty crossed my eye The earth that fed me in California Was turning cracked and dry New Zealand ferns are always green It rains more there than it should I looked to the cloud that was raining on me And said, go where you can do some good Clouds stop crying and wasting time And fly across the sky Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California I don't want to see her die Met a guy from San Francisco in a railway ticket line He said the Grateful Dead was alive and well But the weather wasn't so fine Nobody had a garden Nothing lived but weeds the earth looked like some kind of feverish person who'd caught a strange disease. He said the reservoirs are empty, cattle dying too. Every tongue is reaching out to sip the morning dew. And they say the fields and valleys are turning green to brown. That the farmers walk a dry and dusty mile in every farm in town. Clouds stop crying and wasting time and fly across the sky And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California I don't want to see her die I stared up to the diamond stars one cashmere night Black velvet sky and a raging river was no other sound or sight. The Big Dipper hung up above the river and I felt that it was a shame. All this water here in California dry, I said to the Dipper by name. Reach down and kiss that raging river and fly across the sky. Spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California. I don't want to see her die People and the animals like to gather where water flows A beer, some tea, or a water hole It's there where something grows And remember the music water makes The rainy pool and the circle dance The thunder of the ocean and the waterfall The laughing creek that feeds the plants Now the fields are green again 
beauty has returned Tragedies continue to show what we still got to learn Can't waste away the ocean, water, air, or land If we upset this sacred ground, we won't have any place to stand So reach down and kiss the raging river and fly across the sky And spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California I don't want to see her spread a lot of rain, sweet rain, spread a lot of rain on California I don't want to see her die Okay, uh, that set was for the Dear Departed. <clears throat> we had Duck Dojo, whose father, Earl Coleman, was one of my all-time best friends. Wonderful. Wonderful man, just saying it. And uh, Duck Dojo is one of his sons, Darnell, who recorded that... Uh, honor his father right after that my brother Charlie Morgan also a friend of Earl's who uh, died recently left behind an album called Chasmo Now and that was a selection from that a topic that uh, is becoming more and more um Dangerous, I suppose, would be the word for California. He took a place that was mostly desert. It has water in the north. But if there's a drought, we've got 36 million people here. And there's not going to be enough water for, any, for everybody. So Charlie is saying to the Big Dipper, dip and get some water bring it bring us some water hopefully there will be some rain tonight certainly not enough to avert the water crisis so i want to talk about a couple of campaigns that are going on right now in the labor movement deep south barista strike starbucks is on labor notes Starbucks Baristas in Columbia, South Carolina, y'all, the very cradle of the Confederacy and the very cradle of, I'm sure for a lot of people, white supremacy. The Baristas walked out for three days, returned to their jobs on Saturday. 22 of the 28 quote-unquote partners at the Millwood Avenue store in South Carolina, Columbia, and transferred several weeks ago after 22 and 28 partners at the Millwood Avenue petitioned the NLRB for union representation. Workers reached a breaking point on May 18th when a popular store manager was fired for refusing to engage in union busting. So there's a store manager some balls 
and a conscience. Two hours after learning of their manager's dismissal, the entire shift walked out, forcing the store to close early. She was a huge reason we were still a lot of us with the company, said barista Sophie Ryan of her former manager. She was a large reason a lot of us were still with the company. Starbucks loves to push this agenda of togetherness, equality, and a partnership, said Ryan. Looking to make sure they're keeping with that agenda and making sure that people can actually live of what they do while loving it. Votes will be tallied on June 3rd. Okay. We'll keep our eye on that one. Riots, Audrey Lord. Here's an important one if you're a student. Um, know people now who are thinking of going to law school and the sacrifice that that's going to entail. Um, and you can't go if you don't have money or you don't have financial aid. Well, here's the story of a company, Corinthian, that ripped off people who were trying to do just that, trying to get an education. And make and better themselves. Endorser of Chesa Boudin uh, working against. It's about Chesa Boudin. Goodman. The Department of Education's canceled $5.8 billion in student loan debt for borrowers who attended the now-defunct network of for-profit schools known as Corinthian Colleges. It's the largest one-time discharge of debt ever made by the Department of Education. Vice President Kamala Harris formally announced the debt cancellation Thursday. All former students will soon receive notice that Corinthian College federal loans will be canceled. And this will benefit more than half a million people who still have loans. And it will add up to almost $6 billion in debt relief for former students. And of course, we all know that's real money in the pockets of real people who have faced over these years significant debt, many of whom are still struggling to make ends meet as costs have gone up. Former Corinthian students have been organizing for years to abolish their debt. In 2015, 15 former students of Corinthian launched what they described as the nation's first student debt strike. We're joined now by two guests. Pamela Hunt is former student of the for-profit Corinthian Colleges chain who took part in the debt strike. She's also a member of the Debt Collective, a group working to end the student loan crisis. And we're joined by Braxton Brewington, press secretary of the Debt Collective. We welcome you both to Democracy Now! Um, Pamela, let's begin with you. Um, talk about what just happened. This is historic and what it means for so many students at Corinthian Colleges. Um, it is very historic, and it, it's a very uh, monumental um, win for the for-profit students from Corinthian. Um, it, it was a long time coming. Um, I've been in this fight. We've been in this fight. 
for eight and a half years. Um, I would say it was eight years longer than it should be. But, I mean, it does give students some breathing room. It gives them, um, you know, relieves them of some of the hardships that they faced while they were dealing with this uh, monumental debt. Pamela, However, I was wondering if you can talk specifically about yourself. You had over $100,000 in student debt from studies at Corinthian Colleges yeah. uh, that was forgiven last year, but still face $100,000. Explain what happened dealing with this, as you also had to deal with cancer. Oh, yes. Um, yes, I, I did have—I was diagnosed with cancer as I was in the fight. Um, with Corinthian, and I had $253,000 in student loan debt. And um, I got debt relief last year from uh, the Department of Ed for just my Corinthian student loans. Um, I still have over $100,000 in student loan debt from my undergrad study, and as a parent that had to do a parent plus loan for my youngest daughter. Um, for me, at the time when I had the, the $253,000 debt, life was uh, very hard. Um, I, was, I was actually trying to buy a house, and I could not because of my debt-to-income ratio, and my student loan debt was used as part of that figure. So now that that debt was erased last year, I am back on the road to trying to uh, become a homeowner, and hopefully this time around it will, uh, you know, do what it's supposed to do. Um, in the meantime, when I was going through my cancer treatment, um, the Obama administration was in office, and I did send him a, uh, a movie clip, a video clip while I was going through treatment, and, you know, asking him if he could go ahead and, you know, just cancel this illegitimate debt um, because I was one of the students that was being defrauded. And, I mean, it, it did make going through my treatment a lot harder because of the stress of, you know, the, just what having that type of insurmountable debt does the stress and, you know, stress isn't good under any circumstances, um, especially if you're going through uh, chemo treatment and radiation. Uh, let me ask Braxton Brewington if you can explain how this week came about, this uh, historic forgiveness of close to $6 billion in student loan debt, but only for former students of Corinthian colleges. How many people will this affect? And talk about the activism that led to this, but the broader picture and what you're calling for. strike and refuse to make student loan payments. Could you start again, Braxton? We didn't catch the beginning of what you said. Absolutely. Pam was one of those individuals, the Corinthian 15, who refused to make those payments and call out the illegitimacy of federal student loan debt, whether it was because of a for-profit college or um, a so-called traditional institution. And so going on that strike and the debt collective 
the Corinthian 15 politicizing federal student debt altogether and calling for an automatic group-wide discharge really actually set the precedent for broader scale relief, which is the conversation that we're having right now, calling on President Biden to eliminate all federal student debt. So this group-wide discharge that was administered automatically really, I think, shows how simple in the solution, how simple and just the solution is to just wipe out a debt for a specific group of people. And so I think that is setting the precedent now for broad scale relief. And what Pam has really shown is that the intersection is much deeper than just eliminating debt for Corinthian students and thinking that though the, those student, the problems for those students will simply go away. There's actually a much deeper intersection, folks who have private student loans, people who have federal student loans or, or parent plus loans that didn't come from trying to go to Corinthian college. So that really sets the scale for saying, wait a minute, all of this debt is illegitimate and Biden should take action. Can you respond, Braxton, to what the editorial boards of The Washington Post, The New York Times, coming out against forgiveness of all student debt? Explain what your response is for um, President Biden proposing up to $10,000 relief. Yeah, the $10,000 proposal is grossly inadequate based on very strong data of race, of the macroeconomic data, and also just in terms of what political rewards President Biden could reap. I think what we've seen from major editorial boards across the country is a deep misunderstanding of this issue and perhaps a commitment to the commodification of higher education. There's been these suggestions or proposals to possibly tweak some of the repayment programs that we currently have now, like public, public service loan forgiveness or income-driven repayment programs, as, this, as if those are new ideas, when in fact we've been tweaking and fixing these broken proposals for a couple of decades now, and none, no one, essentially no one has gotten relief from these proposals, which is why we're calling on full student debt cancellation. And there's also been a huge conflation of canceling all student debt with the end-all solution of making college free. No, that would re require legislation. But, you know, the $10,000 proposal, I think, is sort of a um, way that the Biden administration and neoliberals think that they can sort of thread a needle of appeasing the right while satisfying the left, when in actuality, it's just going to frustrate everyone. And so they should really just go big, cancel all of it, right? If if student debt we is have 10 illegitimate, seconds. if student debt is illegitimate, why not uh, cancel all of it? And it's if it's legitimate, then why would you cancel just 10,000? Well, Braxton Brewington, of course, we're going to continue to cover this issue, press secretary of the Debt Collective, and Pamela Hunt, former student of the for-profit Corinthian Colleges chain, who took part in the historic student debt strike in 2015. I'm Amy Goodman. Stay safe. Okay, well, there's a, a partial discussion of the student <clears throat> debt crisis worth about a trillion dollars. And uh, someone might say, 
What has this got to do with the labor unions and the working people? Well, <laughs> if you're a working person, you're the one who needs the money, who needs the, the loan to attend college, to go. Everyone keeps saying, yeah, well, education is the key to success. Education is the key to wiping out racism. Education is the key to making a better life for yourself. It doesn't. If you owe $250,000 like this woman did, order of a million dollars, How's that going to make your life better? Okay, so looking at this issue, think about it. Remember, it's working people. The debt is uh, working people owing money to banks and other financial services, quote-unquote, the rich. The rich are the people who are holding these loans. Let's take a look at the zoot suit, quote-unquote, riots, and we'll have more about this next week, and we will get to the great Audre Lorde. I do want to have poetry featured on this show. There's just so much labor news. Zoot suit. These kids spoke to each other in English, and it was an English that was punctuated by jazz phrases, cool, hip, on time all of these kinds of things that they very clearly drew from jazz culture during this period. And some of the boys from 38th Street will tell you they didn't know Spanish during this time. They didn't speak Spanish. The wartime economy put money in the kids' pockets. In 1942, they were spending it on big balloon pants pegged at the ankle and long baggy coats, a style borrowed from African-Americans. It was called the Zoot Suit. The Zoot Suit was everywhere. In the nightclubs, kids in Zoot Suits rule the dance floor. Their stoic moves, the essence of L.A. cool. All they do is get the girl's arm like that, and she'd go around him, and he'd put his arm out this way, and then she'd go around about three times, and he'd go like that, because that guy was not going to move. He didn't want to wrinkle the coat or nothing. He didn't want to mess up his pants. As soon as they would get out of the house, they would beeline straight down to Central Avenue. A lot of jazz clubs were, and they would go there to listen to jazz artists and to dance the swing, and all of these things that their Mexican parents would probably not have approved of, and, and they found ways of sneaking around that. And in fact, wearing the zoot suit, I would say, was part of that. Many times I wore my skirt just above my knee till I got around the corner, and then I'd roll it up at the waist. And so that it'd be really short, you know. Then coming back from school, we'd just pull them down. The boys wore their pants very wide at the knee. They were always to be 40 inches at the knees and 10 to 11 inches at, at the cuff. So they were very ballooned out. 
very high-waisted. Their outrageous clothes and cocky attitudes shocked their traditional parents, who feared their sons and daughters were becoming pachucos. In Los Angeles in the early 40s, the word pachuco meant punk. These were ill-mannered kids. These weren't the kids that you wanted your children to hang out with. Many white Los Angelinos felt threatened by their assertive presence. To them, any Mexican kid in a zoot suit was a potential pachuco. By wearing their zoot suits and swaggering down the streets in public, these kids defied the norms of segregation. Okay, well, that was a trailer for uh, an American experience documentary about the zoot suit, quote-unquote, riots, which were really an excuse, it turned out, for white servicemen and police, L.A. police, to beat up on Mexican kids. Uh, so check that out. That's an important chapter in the lives of uh, working people. This is the B, and as usual, we didn't cover everything we had proposed to cover, but we'll get to it next week. Wishing you a happy week with a lot of good work. And um, hopefully, you know, next week we'll get on with the story of working people and their lives. Looking right now for Yuri Miraji, Japanese classical guitarist and her beautiful version of the Internacional. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, a negotiating table that is, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. See you next week. Stay tuned for Flat Black Plastic coming right up on MutinyRadio.fm.
What if these codes were no longer secure? That nightmare scenario seems to be a reality. A shadowy underworld syndicate is auctioning off access to the world's encrypted secrets. The only plausible explanation for this ability? Someone has achieved the holy grail of code-breaking quantum computing. Veteran CIA agent John Clooney must track down the perpetrators and retrieve this technology for the U.S. government. And it's personal, as the Enigma brokers have already cost the lives of his fellow agents, perhaps including his partner. John Wessex's The Enigma Brokers is the first book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! I was just leaving the theater. Convertible. 1969 gold Cadillac with the white material. And I started to do some thinking. And on the freeway and I'm having a really, really good time. Flat black glass. Smoking big spliffs and cruising. Saturday noon to two. On the freeway. Good I am a total John Clooney's friend and ally become a dangerous enemy? Private investigator Anton Gruber has been CIA agent John Clooney's trusted aide. Clooney may have questioned Gruber's taste in cuisine, but never his loyalty, until Gruber double-crossed him. Escaping with his life, Clooney is sidelined while his superior attempts to discover how Gruber was compromised. The investigation delves into Gruber's astonishing past, from his unpleasant days as an East German border guard to life as a narcotics agent, from his time in the tango clubs of Buenos Aires to a trip up the Amazon in search of Nazi gold. John Wessex's The Prague Deception is the third book of the John Clooney thrillers. Get it on Amazon. Hey, Mutineers Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon, with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show, one of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. 
It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Meals on Wheels is dedicated to fostering independent living for San Francisco seniors by providing hot, nutritious meals delivered to their homes. They're committed to fostering independent living for as long as possible. For more information, please call Meals on Wheels at 415-920-1111. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio in San Francisco. Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out with side bags and cool stuff talk to under go to skinonskins.com that's s-k-i-n-o-n-s-k-i-n-s.com you just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather go see under everything is handcrafted and understated quality fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs he also does fixes maybe you love that jacket he'll put the zipper back in Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at SkinOnSkins.com. Volunteer for the San Francisco Food Bank. The San Francisco Food Bank relies on volunteers like you to help sort, package, and distribute healthy food to people in need in San Francisco. Each year, over 22,000 people contribute thousands of hours to fighting hunger in our community. This support will enable the SF Food Bank to distribute 43.5 million pounds of food this year. Enough for 93.000 meals every day. But they can't do it without volunteers. Visit www.sffoodbank.org slash volunteer. Again, www.sffoodbank.org slash volunteer to find out how Listen to live streaming radio. 
radio or download a podcast and you can listen on the go. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. San Francisco Mutiny Radio. MutinyRadio.fm Why not make a donation? MutinyRadio.fm Streaming live Greatest satirist known to us all, Mr. Jonathan Winters. <laughs> 